Prema Vahini Chapter 23 Today's words are only the works of yesterday. During the Tretha Yuga, when Narada asked Sri Ramachandra about the nature and characteristics of his dasas and of the sadhakas or spiritual aspirants, he answered as below. Listen, O Narada. Men who are my dasas are full of love. They always stand by dharma or righteousness. They speak the truth. Their hearts melt with mercy. They are devoid of wrong. They avoid sin. Their nature is well founded. They will renounce everything gladly. They eat in moderation. They are engaged in doing good to others. They have no selfishness. They are worried by no doubt. They will not lend their ears to flattery. They are eager to listen to the praise of the good nature of others. They have beautiful, strong and holy character. Sadhakas are those who endeavor to acquire such qualities and possess such a character. Now I shall tell you about those who are prayer or dear to me. Anyone who is engaged in japa or repetition of the holy name, tapas and vratha or observance of vows, who has some yama or self-control, niyama or discipline, anyone who has faith, patience, comradeship, kindness and joy, as well as unalloyed prema towards me, is prayer to me is dear to me. Now about my real bhaktas. Whoever with viveka and vairagya and vinaya and vijnana, that is, with discrimination and renunciation, with humility and wisdom, are aware of the knowledge of reality, Whoever are always immersed in the contemplation of my leela or sport and play. Whoever dwells on my name at all times and under all conditions. And who sheds tears of love whenever the Lord's name is heard from any lip. They are my genuine bhaktas. Thus answered Sri Rama to Narada. So the Lord will protect in all ways and at all times those who worship Him in complete and uncontaminated bhakti. Just as a mother protects her infants, a cow saves her calf from danger, and the eyelids guard the eyes effortlessly and automatically. When the infant grows up into an adult, the mother will not pay so much attention to its safety. So too, the Lord does not pay much attention to the jnani. 
the saguna bhakta is like an infant of the Lord. So it has no strength except the strength of the Lord. For the jnani, his own strength is enough. Therefore, until one can rely on one's own strength, one must be an infant in the Lord's hands as a saguna bhakta, isn't it? No one can become a nirguna bhakta without having been a saguna bhakta. So bhaktas should grow up like infants in the lap of the mother and thereafter become jnanis who can rely on their own strength and be free. Still, both have the same source of strength, the mother. Those indeed are really fortunate who grasp this secret of the path of devotion, who develop one-pointed bhakti and straighten the traits of their character who transform themselves into infants in the lap of the Lord and who get everything done by Him as He wishes. Therefore those who yearn to be dasas, bhaktas, priyas and ananya-bhaktas should take up the corresponding path in name and act and live accordingly. The bhakta should develop the above-said characteristics of devotion. The priya should follow the prema of the Lord. The ananya bhakta has to surrender completely to the Lord. Mere reading and rolling of the tongue are of no avail. Ananda is the result of action only. This ananda is not dependent on caste or race or sex. Even in those days, when Sri Rama came to Sabari, she asked him in the following manner, while Sri Rama was gladly partaking of the feast of roots and fruits, selected and reserved by Sabari for him after herself tasting every individual item. Lord, I am but a woman. In addition, I am of feeble intellect. Above all, I am low-born. How can I praise you? I do not know what to do or how. Then Sri Rama smiled and said, Sabari, my mission is only the kinship of bhakti. I have no kinship of race or caste. Of what use is it to have status, wealth and character without bhakti? like the cloud that does not bear rain, which wanders about in the sky. These people without devotion are at the mercy of the winds, however much status in caste, wealth, power and fame they may possess. Bhaktas reach me through nine paths. Any one of them takes them to me. Then Sabari prayed, to Sri Rama to tell her about the nine paths and Sri Rama responded Shravanam listening to stories of God Kirtanam singing the name of the Lord Vishnosmaranam remembering God Padasevanam serving the feet of the Lord Vandanam reverence toward nature and all life Archanam 
ritual worship, dasyam, path of dedication and surrender, sneham, befriending, atmanivedanam, path of surrender. If the devotee sincerely practices any one of these paths, he can attain me. I am bound by these nine forms of bhakti. That is why you have been able to so easily obtain this opportunity of seeing, touching and speaking with me, an opportunity which even yogis find too difficult to get. You have realized life's purpose today. See, today's words are only the words of yesterday. Premavahini Chapter 24 Bhakti is of two kinds. Those who follow the above said ninefold path are of two kinds. One, the followers of the hard path, and two, the followers of the safe and easy path. These are sometimes referred to as one, bhakti, the path of love of God, and two, prapatti, absolute self-surrender. That is to say, the practice of the markata kishora, or the young of the monkey is bhakti, and the practice of the marjala kishora, or the young of the cat, is prapatti. Devotion has to be uninterrupted, unintermittent, like the flow of oil from one vessel to another. Though the two kinds are basically the same, the practices are different. Without prema, nothing can be acquired in this world. It is only when there is prema, the anuraga or attachment in its turn, produces the desire to protect and guard. In both the above kinds, prema is equal, no doubt, but in actual manifestation there is difference. In the Markatakishora Marg, the way of the baby monkey, the child has to rely on its own strength to protect itself. Wherever the mother might jump about, it has to attach itself fast to the mother's belly and should not release its hold even if pulled apart. So too, the bhakta has to stand the tests at the hands of the Lord and hold on to the Lord's name at all times and under all conditions, tirelessly, without the slightest trace of dislike or disgust, bearing the ridicule and the criticism of the world and conquering the feelings of shame and defeat. The example of this type of bhakti is that foremost among devotees, Prahalad. The prapatti marg is not of this type. It is like the way of the kitten, the marjala kishora, sarvabhara samarpit attitude. 
as the kitten simply continues mewing in one place, placing all its burdens on the mother cat. The devotee puts complete trust in the Lord. The mother cat holds the kitten in its mouth and removes it to more elevated places or transports it safely through even very narrow passages. So too the devotee places all his burden on the Lord and surrenders fully to his will. Lakshmana is the witness of this path. The discipline of prapakti is much superior to the discipline of bhakti. The characteristic of prapakti is complete self-surrender in all aspects. To serve Sri Rama, Lakshmana renounced all obstacles in his path like wealth, wife, mother, home and even sleep and food. And this not for just a day or a month or a year, but for full fourteen years. He felt that Sri Rama was his all, his happiness and joy, that he would grant him everything that he needed and that his life's purpose was only to follow him and serve him and surrender his will to him. So if all burdens are placed on him, and if he is followed ceaselessly and unforgettingly, he will certainly provide everything. This is the nature of the prapatti type of devotion. Prema Vahini, Chapter 25 Vanaprastha After being a householder and experiencing the sorrow, happiness and joy, and learning the true significance of all these, Man has to retire into the forest when he reaches the age of forty-five or fifty, leaving the house he has built and the place where he lived. If his wife is alive then, he has to take her consent and entrust her to the care of the son or her parents, or take her also with him and treat her like a brother, himself being immersed in Brahmacharya. There is a great change even in diet. He has to eat roots and fruits and drink only milk. Things should not be baked full, but only up to a third. Rice should not be used much. If it is not possible to arrange diet for oneself on these lines, he can visit the village nearby and collect food by begging. But he has to bring the food into the forest and eat it there in his own habitation. He has to give to his dependents the same food that he takes, for they cannot prepare food they prefer or get it supplied. If they don't relish it, they have to be content with milk and fruits only, for he must not change his routine for satisfying others. However troublesome it may be, the discipline should not be modified or given up. This is to be specially noted. He cannot have any worship or almsgiving or any such duties. Even if he gives food or articles to others, it cannot be regarded as alms or dana. 
he cannot also receive as dhana anything from others. He must have the same pure love towards all in equal measure. Discarding old clothes once a year, he must don new clothes in the Asvija month. The Chandrayana Vratha is the most important of the Vanaprastha Vrathas or vows. During that month he must eat for the first fifteen days, every day a morsel less. And for the remaining fifteen days, a morsel more every day. He has to take only kanji on the new and full moon days. In the rainy season he must do tapas, austerities or penance, standing in the rain. In winter he must wear wet clothes while engaged in tapas. Performing such asceticism systematically, he has to bathe three times a day. The various Upanishadic statements are to be studied, their meanings understood and experienced. If such a Vanaprastha falls victim to any disease, the diet routine has to be cancelled and he has to live on air and water. He shall walk on and on in the northeastern direction until he dies. On the other hand, if he has no bodily disease, and if he is hale and hearty, he will experience, after he has adopted the above disciplines, the spontaneous dawn of true knowledge. By means of this knowledge, he will attain moksha or liberation. Many argue, how can this discipline result in the dawn of knowledge? Are these not mere bodily limitations, they ask? Knowledge can arise only by the realization of the principle. How can something that does not contain the principle which guarantees self-realization be called knowledge, they argue? But this is based on a big mistake. Through these physical regulations, Vasanas or traits are destroyed and concentration is established. The Upanishadic statements serve to foster and strengthen this one-pointedness. Step by step, the experience of the Upanishadic Vakyas, words, alone will bring about the dawn of knowledge. Are not Upanishads the very knowledge itself? With that Jnana Swarupa, the embodiment of wisdom as companion, realizing it in one's own experience, what need is there to search for knowledge elsewhere? To establish Jnana firmly in the heart, one-pointedness is essential. And this can easily be gained by the above-mentioned bodily disciplines and tapas. External control helps internal control in many ways. To succeed in external controls is by comparison more difficult than to achieve success in controlling the internal. A turn of the steering wheel in one's hand in any direction makes the wheels of the car, which are not in one's hand, move in the same direction. 
The wheels will not turn in another direction when the steering is turned in one direction. The introspective wheels are based on the extrospective steering itself. It is the natural basis. Sometimes when the steering is turned one way, the wheels may drag another way, but this is due to the giving up of the natural characteristic. The internal wheels, if they have no air, which is the true essence, may behave as if there is no relationship with the steering, but they cannot go beyond the bounds of steering. The steering in the hand is related to the wheels below. If there is no such relation, the journey becomes impossible. The connection is inevitable. Therefore, for him who has struggled with the external tendencies and conquered them, the internal tendencies become easily controllable. The external tendencies have name and form and are attracted by becoming objects of experience. So to overcome them is a matter of some difficulty. But internal tendencies have no form, though they may be endowed with name. They are also experienced as ananda, and so they can be overcome more easily. They can be tamed with greater ease. The bother is more for external conduct and behavior. These are associated with taste, form and heaviness. The internal tendencies have no form, no taste, no weight. Pure water similarly has no form or taste or heaviness. Impure water is different in all these respects. So to purify impure water is indeed difficult. But pure water can be given any form required with very great ease. Similarly, the difficulty is all about purifying the mental behavior, which is spoiled by the delusions of the world. There is no need to set right the mental behavior which is free from such delusions. Delusionless behavior is necessarily pure. It is without any trace of defect and doubt. Why should such be set right? Therefore, if men first control and conquer the external delusion as much as possible, the internal tendencies will easily move in the direction of Atmananda, Atmic Bliss. Yoga and Tapas are only other names for the path of the control and conquest of these external tendencies and delusions. The rules of Vanaprastha are but methods to succeed in this yoga or tapas or penance. When man subdues delusion of all types in the Vanaprastha stage, the journey ends in moksha or liberation. But we cannot say that moksha has only this one path. Through whatever path grace is obtained, that path may be chosen. Liberation is achieved by these rules and observances of Vanaprastha, and it can be secured by following this path. It also makes a man delusion-free. It gives him one-pointedness.
Premavahini Chapter 26 Mukti is of four kinds. Worship with fixity of consciousness and purity of feeling and free of all extraneous thought becomes itself Bhava Samadhi. As a result of this Bhava Samadhi, the Lord appears before the inner eye of the devotee in the form which he has chosen for worship. The vision is not merely a matter of imagination. It is a face-to-face experience. Without difference of location, he can abide in the presence of the Lord in the very same place. This is called Salokya Mukti. Besides being always with the Lord as in Salokya Mukti, Bhaktas realize all that they see as the glory of the Lord. This experience is referred to as Samipya Mukti. Existing ever with the Lord, witnessing always the glory of the Lord, and becoming suffused with God-consciousness is Sarupya Mukti. This is the final fruit of Bhakti Shastra. But at this stage there is yet a trace of differential feeling. So the Advaita Siddhanta will not admit it as the highest. Simply because the Bhakta has Sarupya, or the same Rupa as the Lord, we cannot take it that he has the powers of creation, preservation and destruction which the Lord possesses. It is only when all trace of difference disappears and unity is attained that the highest stage is reached. This is what is called Sayudya Mukta. This comes of divine grace one by the essence of the sadhana of each. It cannot be claimed as the fruit of effort. The bhakta will aspire for this merging or aikyam. He wishes to serve the Lord as he pleases and to experience the joy of the form which he has attributed to the Lord. But the Lord out of His grace gives him not only Salokya, Samipya and Sarupya, but also Sayudya. Bhakti Marga also results in the attainment of Brahma Jnana. Even if the Bhakta does not crave for it, the Lord Himself vouchsafes Brahma Jnana to Him. The Sayudya Mukti is also referred to as a Kanta Mukti.